Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you and enjoy. Topic today is equipped for holiness. Let me go back uh, to last week a little bit and kind of refresh us where we were. We talked about living in the kingdom of God. When Jesus came in his ministry, he ushered in God's kingdom on the earth. Among this fallen world, God established this kingdom where he reigns, where disciples' hearts burn with fire, where disciples feel the presence of God, understand the power of God, understand the mercy and love of God. And no matter what is happening in the world, those words of Jesus where you said, in the world there is tribulation, but in me there is peace. This is where we live as disciples in the kingdom of God. We're living in this place and no matter what is happening to us, we know that our God cares, that our God is concerned for us, that he hears our prayers. And oftentimes we know that he will give us strength for another day, if not answer our prayers directly and give us relief from whatever is that is troubling us. And as we talked last week, our problem with understanding the kingdom of God is we've been programmed by the world to believe that everything we get in life we have to earn and we transfer that understanding of the world to God's grace and God's mercy so that we look at salvation as something we have to earn. We have to be holy to obtain, that God is not going to accept us into that paradise of heaven unless we are in a pure state of grace. And we know because we are sinners that it is almost impossible for us. So we keep trying to please God, trying to please God, trying to please God. And we come away feeling lost and hopeless because we know that we continually to fail. And we need to understand that God has provided for us a means to be holy. And then we talked about those prophecies that from Jeremiah and Ezekiel where God said he's going to make a new covenant with us and make us follow his laws and his dictates by writing his law on our heart and that we will all come to know him. And we talked about that root word of know, meaning intimacy with God. And then he said he's going to forgive and forget our sins. So that's where we are. We got this promise of God. He's going to make us holy. So today, as we're talking about equipped for holiness, we want to talk about what does that look like? Because, you know, we read in Scripture, and, and again, the world has programmed us this way. And this comes, if you look at, and we talked about this a little bit last week, about how in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God set up this grand scheme that I call it, where the sacrifice of lambs, the shedding of blood, was going to be done for the atonement of sin. And we began to understand this atonement of sin, and God gave us that one, one image on the Feast of the Atonement. And in the Scripture, if you look at Leviticus uh, chapter 12, I think it is, 16, that you will see that this one lamb, all the sins of Israel is placed on this one lamb and is led out to be slaughtered. So we understand that this one lamb was a prefiguring of Jesus Christ. But in the book of Leviticus, there's over and over again, he's talking about this sacrifice. And the central theme of the book, you read in chapter 19, verse 2, and God says to his people, he said, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And Peter in his epistle picks up this concept and he says, like obedient children, 
Do not act in compliance with the desires of your former ignorance. But as he who is called you is holy, be holy in yourselves in every aspect of your conduct, for it is written, Be holy as I am holy. Years ago, after I was ordained, my spiritual director told me that I needed to go take a counseling class at Case Western, that there was a one-year program that was offered by a rabbi and his wife, and it was called Counseling for Ministers. And you had to be an ordained minister to be in the program. And he was telling me why I needed to understand how to counsel and do it well. Uh, and he said what I had in the seminary wasn't adequate enough. And he already told me that he already enrolled me. And he gave me all the papers. <laughs> Father Camille, by the way, was my spiritual director at the time. Uh, and I always considered Camille a very holy man. But here he is telling me I need to do this. And rather than give me an option, he said, you already enrolled. Class begins in September. Here's the date, here's the time, here's the hall, and the fees have all been paid. So I show up in this class, and there's eight of us, eight ordained ministers. Uh, I don't remember all of them. There was one Lutheran, there was an Episcopal. I was the only Catholic in a group. There was a rabbi. I know there was a Methodist minister, and I forget the rest of them. But the rabbi and I became fairly good friends, and we would meet oftentimes before class started, have a cup of coffee, and we would talk about things going on in the class, but we also talked about the difference between Christianity and Judaism. And oftentimes we would continue that discussion after class. But he told me, we talked about this particular phrase in Leviticus one time. And he was talking, we were talking about this concept, be holy for I am the Lord your God, am holy. And I remember my, my rabbi friend saying to me, you Christians have the concept all wrong. And I said, okay, how so do we have this concept of holiness all wrong? He says, because you look at holiness as something that you have to change inside of yourself. He said, when you think of holiness, you begin to look inward. You look at what is deficient in you, what is lacking in you, what is wrong in you. And then you set out to change that. So what you do is you have this examination of yourself and then you figure out, how am I going to change those? So you start looking for the right program, the right spiritual director, the right parish. You start looking for all the things that you think will help you eliminate whatever that deficiency is in you. As he talked and talked, I began to realize that he had a point. Because most of us, when we start this spiritual journey that we're on, and most of us, as we start this journey, we started looking inward and we begin this spiritual journey because we're not satisfied with where we are. There's something missing into us. There's something that is not connecting with us in our relationship with God or as we're living our Christian life or we're going to church on Sunday or whatever else we're doing, even if we're in ministry, that we realize that there's something that is lacking. So we begin to search for ourselves, and we find the right program, the right DVD program, the right cell study, the right meditation, the right spiritual, whatever it is, we start searching for it. And we start incorporating in those, those things in our lives. But if you think about this for a minute, our holiness has become for us a do-it-yourself project. Then we look at what we need, what is missing, what do I need to correct it, we go out and get all the plans and all the materials to change it. And we come up 
and start changing it. Now, I don't know if you made New Year's resolutions, but I heard driving the other day, I think it was January the 9th, that that is called break day. <laughs> yes, that's why. He said that on that day, nine days after the first of the year, 90% of all New Year's resolutions have been broken. So if we do a self, do-it-yourself spirituality, we're going to embark on this, but pretty soon we're going to drop it because it's still not working for us. We're going to not try anymore because we've got it and it's not working for us. But the problem is not what we're trying to do, it's that we're doing it by our own will. And we know how we've done this before. I don't know about you, but you know, whether it's trying to improve your health. Have you ever walked in the self-help section of the library of Barnes and Noble? Seriously, I'm digressing here, but have you ever done that? It is huge. You could get books on almost anything you want in the world. You could improve your relationship with your spouse, with your children, with your friends, with your coworkers. You could be a better leader. You could be a better employee. You could be a better parent. You can look at all kinds of things to help you financially, all kinds of things to help you health-wise, emotionally, physically, psychologically. I mean, all kinds of things you can get to help you. And if you ever tried any of those, you know how, well, let's just talk about losing weight. <laughs> you start, you do it a while, you might have some success, but pretty soon you drop it and you stop doing it. And we do the same thing with our spirituality. As long as it's a do-it-yourself project, and the problem with us is that we are sinners. And we're trying to get rid of sin in our life, and we have trouble doing that because we're weak humans and we will fall. Most of us, there's a kind of a ruling sin. I don't know, you know whether you call it a root cause, whether it's pride or you know, you're lacking something. There's something that motivates us to do this particular sin over and over and over again. And we could go to reconciliation. We could say, yeah, God forgives my sin. We could do all these things, but we keep doing it. In the end, what we do is we start condemning ourselves and we say, we will never change. I'm simply just a weak worm of the dust and I will never be anything different. But God's call to holiness when he said, you shall be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. My rabbi said, here's the Jewish approach to holiness. He said, we don't look at it as a deficiency in ourselves that need to change. He said, holiness for us is lived out every day in our relationship with God. So every day we have this relationship with God that we're walking and talking with God and we live out our holiness that day with God. Some days we do better, some days we don't do so good. But we don't condemn ourselves on those days when we don't do so good because we're walking with God each and every day. And if you start thinking about that, and you're thinking about Jesus came to establish the kingdom on earth and calling us to live in that kingdom, we need to begin to realize, and we talked about this a little bit last week also, that we have this wrong image of God and because of that, we have this wrong image of salvation. And we need to understand that God didn't come just to make us his savior. He didn't just come to rescue us from hell. He came to be Lord of our lives. He came to be intimate with us. 
He came to have us walk with him, call him Abba, and sit with God and simply talk with God. God wants more to be our Savior. He wants to be Lord of our lives, and he wants us to begin to surrender those things we failed to do on our own to him so he could do them within us. It's really simple, and yet it's very hard to yield our holiness to God, to surrender it to God. But if you begin to read the scriptures, if you begin to get intimate with Jesus, and the way we're going to live in this kingdom of God, obviously, is the more we get to know Jesus, the more we understand Jesus. Jesus said, I came to show you the Father. And the more we get intimate with Jesus, and you do that through your personal prayer, through the reading of scripture, for your own personal benefit, and you start looking at Jesus in the scriptures, and you will begin to understand the heart of God. And the closer we get to the heart of God, the more we're going to realize that God has given us, with our call, everything we need to be holy men and holy women. God has provided it. We simply need to tap in to the grace that God has given us, to the tools that God has given us, to the equipment that God has given us, for us to begin to overcome sin in our lives. The scriptures tell us, by the Spirit, we could put an end to the misdeeds of the body. That's pretty refreshing. We don't have to do it by self-will. We have to do it by surrendering to God. Paul in the Ephesians chapter 2 tells us this, that we've been called to something. We have been called and we have been gifted. But Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this to us, and here's how we begin this path to holiness. He said, we, you and I, gazing on the face, gazing on the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory by the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let that sink in a minute. We, gazing on the face of the Lord, of being transformed into that same image from glory to glory by the Spirit. So Paul is telling us if we put ourselves in front of Jesus and just put ourselves in the front of Jesus, get intimate with Jesus, that we are going to be transformed bit by bit into the very image of Christ. And Paul in his letter tells us that we are predestined. He said, those he has called, he has justified. Those he has justified, he has glorified. And those he has glorified, he has predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is our destiny, to be like Christ. We are born in the image and the likeness of God. And God wants that glory of him to shine through us. So Paul is telling us we gaze upon the Lord. I don't know what your concept of gazing is. You might think of adoration. But think of this. Mary of Bethany, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha's in the kitchen doing all the things that she thinks Christ needs done that day. She's a workaholic for God. This is what God needs today, and I'm here, and where is my help, for goodness sakes? Oh, there he is, sitting at the feet of Jesus. What is she doing at the feet of Jesus? Listening, listening, being transformed from glory to glory. 
It's Peter in the boat when he got called and said, go into the deep. And what does he say when they catch the fish? Depart from me, God, for I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. He realized his lack of worth. And God, Jesus at that time, overlooks what he is saying and he ultimately ends up saying, follow me. And I'm going to change you. He said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I am going to change you. You're no longer going to be Simon. You're going to be Peter. This is what gazing on the face of the Lord is like. It's the woman caught in adultery standing before Jesus. Is there no one here to condemn you? No. Then neither am I. It's the woman at the well. God knew everything about her. And he says, I have what you want. Just take what I want to give you. Drink from the living water that I offer you. And we used this passage last week when we spoke about Jesus on standing up on the last and greatest day of the feast. And he said, out of me will flow this living water. Out of me is going to flow this living water. And this next passage said, he was speaking of the spirit which had not yet come. So whenever we think of this transformed from glory to glory, we need to begin to not thinking about our act of what we should go do as we would if we're going to look at how we're going to be holy. We want to look at the purpose for which we're gazing on the face of the Lord. And if it is through adoration, it is through meditation or contemplation, whatever, how you want to do this, it's where is your heart and what is your heart seeking? We're not there to please God by our holiness. We're there to let God touch our hearts and change it. So we begin to, to stand before God and seek this relationship that He's offering you and He's offering me. And we will find ourselves trapped in this mentality that says we have to do something without realizing that by gazing on the face of the Lord, sitting still with God, reading the passages in the Scripture and letting them touch our heart, we are doing something. It's just not us planning. We're doing it and we're waiting for God to achieve what He said in us. There's a difference. We're putting ourselves in a place where God can work in our hearts and in our lives and we're paying attention to the move of the Spirit in our life. And you reach a point where you have to just stop and meditate and, and just let it sink in. Let it sink in. That passage I gave you last week from Jeremiah where he said, I forgive and forget your sin. The first time I read that, it just stunned me. I meditated on that one line in Scripture for almost two months. I said, can it be real? Can God really do this? And what does it mean for me? What is sin? How do we define sin? Have I been misled all these years? And no, we haven't. We haven't been misled by the church. It's just that our approach to sin is all wrong. We try to make up for our sin and God said, I'm forgiven it. And we have a hard time with that concept because we end up saying it's not fair. The story I gave at the nighttime about this man who was a really evil man and he on his deathbed, he encountered Christ and embraced him. Because his sin's forgiven. That's not fair. I've been holy all my life, at least trying to be holy all my life. It's not fair. And God wants all of us to be holy every day of our lives. 
That's how he would have us all, but unfortunately we're not all there. We're not all Marys who have been tuned into God from the moment of her conception. Most of us are like Paul, who has our own concept of what it should be. And we fight to struggle to keep it in order. And we need God to encounter us. And we look at all these things in us as weaknesses that need to be overcome. But I want you to look at it as something else, because we do have these failings and we will often fail. Even though God is promising us if we do this, he's going to transform us from glory to glory. And we look at ourselves and we fail and we look at it as a weakness in ourselves. Something I got to go back and overcome. But then when we cannot overcome it, we begin to blame or you know, look at the root cause of why I'm that way. If I had only been born in a different family, if only my parents had been holier and given me better instruction, if only I'd gone to Catholic school or if I had not gone to Catholic school. <laughs> you know, we look at all these reasons why we are not holy and we come up with, oh, if only, if only I hadn't been abused, if only my parents weren't alcoholics. If only I had a good spiritual director. If only I had this. If only I had that. And you know what? Go look at Scripture and look at all the holy men and women that we believe are holy and look at their lives. Moses didn't want to do what God wanted him to do and he resisted. And yet he was the great leader of the Exodus. Jeremiah is telling God, not me. Gideon said, please, Lord, not me. I am insignificant. I have nothing to offer you. Mother Teresa said she was a great sinner. Read a book. She always talks about her sin. And we call her a saint. John Paul talked about his great sin. John Paul. We call him a saint. Saul of Tarsus called himself in the scriptures the greatest of sinners. Augustine lived a life of debauchery. He's a great sinner. How did they get to be doubting, fearful, unwilling to cooperate with God to where they got as holy men and women? And if you read the scriptures, you'll find that there was this intimate contact with God and this persistence of God that kept going to them, going to them, going to them, until finally they yielded to God's will and started doing it by God's plan. I want you to understand about this weakness because we want to call it a weakness because that somehow absolves us. It's something in me that I just cannot overcome. And it does absolve us from the sins that we are committing. But I'm going to tell you, a different approach on it. It's failure to listen to God and appropriate for yourself what God has given you. And that, my brothers and sisters, is disobedience. And it's arrogant for us to think that we could do it ourselves, that we need God to make us holy. We need to get rid of the if onlys because God has heard it for all of them, better and holier people than you and I. And we need to begin to surrender our will to God. Our problem still goes back to this understanding that how do we get there? How do we make this happen? 
We're still looking for the right formula. We're looking for the right technique. We're looking for somebody to guide us. And God in that prophecy gave us the guide. He said, I'm going to put my spirit in you and I'm going to change your heart. If you read the scriptures, Jesus says in that upper room the night before he died that it was better for him to go because if he didn't go, the spirit would not come. The spirit would not come. And that's one of those lines when I first read it, I had to meditate. What is, what is better than Jesus? I had to meditate. And what does this mean? And then you keep reading in the scriptures and you said, because if the spirit comes, this is what's going to happen. He's going to be the fulfillment of the prophecy of Jeremiah and Ezekiel that God is going to fill your heart and change it by the action of the Holy Spirit. It's what Paul said, that we're transformed from glory to glory by the action of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Jesus said the Spirit is going to teach us the truth about sin. And what he's going to teach us is there is no condemnation in Christ. That God has forgiven our sins. And he's going to teach us the truth about justice. Justice, meaning that Christ died for our sins. And he said he's going to glorify me. Glorify me. So everything the Spirit does is going to bring us back to Jesus. In fact, Jesus said in that upper room, that he's going to remind you and tell you of everything I ever said and everything I ever did. Now that's pretty amazing because my memory is oftentimes very faulty. <laughs> and here God is telling me the Holy Spirit is going to remind you of everything that Jesus ever did and ever said. So if we begin to understand that God equipped us by the gift of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, he removed the barrier of sin between us paving the way for us to be intimate with God. And we rely on the Holy Spirit, who God is saying is going to transform us and change us and enlighten us and teach us and guide us, and He will make us holy. And if we start relying on, on the gift of grace of salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit, we'll begin to understand. It doesn't mean we're not going to falter, because we will falter. But we understand that God has forgiven us. And all we got to do is pick ourselves up and continue to walk in that walk. There's amazing passages in the book of uh, Deuteronomy. And one day it caught my attention that Moses, dealing with the Israelites, we know they grumbled a lot. We know they oftentimes wanted to go back to Egypt, back to slavery, that they felt like slavery was a better life than where they were. And Moses is always intervening with God. In fact, Moses, God wanted to wipe them out when he was out on the mountain and they, they built the golden calf. God wanted to just destroy them and start all over. And Moses pleads with God. He said, what are people going to think about you? You set these people free from slavery and then you destroy them. What are they going to say? What kind of reputation are you going to have, God? I mean, that's really what he's saying. He said, who's going to want to follow you? If you just get angry and you smite us. So God relents and he continues to relent. He gets upset with these people and Moses is constantly pleading with God. But he also pleads with the people and he says this phrase over and over. And, you know, one day perhaps you're going to get there and you'll read it. He says, remember, remember what God has done for you. And there's the key for us as we begin this path of understanding that you and I are equipped for holiness that we can overcome those sins in our life. And believe me or not, you're going to discover that God wants you to change other things in your life that you weren't even aware of, that are hindrances to your, your relationship with, hey, 
with him. But he constantly says, remember. And he goes back and he tells him everything they need to remember. Remember the, the, the escape, how they loaded you down with all the gold and all the animals and the wagons and the, all, everything you needed. And they just, the Egyptians gave it to you. Remember the Red Sea. Remember the water. Remember the manna. Remember the, the battle with Amalek. Remember, remember, remember. And that is a good phrase for us. Because every time we start faltering, every time we feel like we're not doing God's will, we need to remember. Just like Moses was saying, we need to go back and say, God has done this so that I can be holy. He's given me the gift of salvation. He's given me the gift of life. He's given me the gift of wisdom. He's given me the gift of understanding through the Holy Spirit. He's given me the ability to, to tap into the power of God to strengthen me in holiness. And we need to understand that all of this is with us at all times. But we need to turn to this living water that Jesus said he was going to give us the spirit of life. Go all the way back to Genesis again. There's two stories of the creation, if you didn't realize it. There's the one that we hear at Easter where you're God and under seven days. But there's a second creation that comes up in chapter two of Genesis and is God forming Adam out of the clay of the ground. And as a passage, you have this body of Adam, this lifeless body, and God breathes in his nostrils the spirit of life. And that is what the Holy Spirit does for you and I. It breathes into us this spirit of life, this holiness, that we can begin to walk in the path that God wants us to walk and we can follow his will. And when we begin to tap into this power of grace from the salvation, we tap into this power of grace from the Holy Spirit, we truly begin to understand those prophecies we talked about last week. The one from Jeremiah was, God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. The old covenant, my people kept breaking over and over and over again. They just couldn't obey the commandments that were laid out for them. So I'm going to make it possible for you to obey my will by changing your heart. And he says, I'm going to write my law in your heart and make you follow by my statutes and decrees. And you will know me. And we talked about that last week. There's knowing this intimate knowledge of God, this intimate relationship with God, that kind of knowing. And I will forgive your sin and remember your guilt no more. And then he comes back to us in Ezekiel about 250 years after Jeremiah. And he says, this is how I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to pour my spirit into you and I'm going to change your heart. And I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. So we need to stand before our God and say, we desire this heart plant, transplant. I want you to put your spirit into my heart. I am tired of living a life where I continually stumble and fall and feel unworthy. I am tired of living a life that I don't acknowledge you. And in your scriptures, you tell me if I acknowledge you before others, that you will acknowledge me before your Father in heaven. I am tired of being a private Christian. That my Christianity only comes out when I'm with my brothers and sisters who share the Christian faith with me. But there's a world out there that is attempting to, 
to destroy all of us and our relationship with God. And while we're in that world, we are very silent. And we need to say, I'm tired of being a silent Christian. I want people to look at me and say, there is a person who believes. I may not agree with him. I may think they're crazy. I may not think they're totally nuts. But we need to begin to be bold. God said, if I acknowledge him, he will acknowledge me in heaven. We need to make a profession of desire that I desire God to put his arms around me and hold me as the prodigal son. I need to feel the embrace of the Father telling me that everything I did in my life is gone, that it is wiped away. And he puts the cloak of righteousness around my shoulders. And I feel redeemed. I need to feel forgiveness when I ask for forgiveness and reconciliation. I need to feel forgiveness. This is all the things the Spirit will do for us. We'll begin to sense our worth. A sense that God has given us something for the kingdom. And for some of us, it's very simple, the things that God has given for us. And other times, it's more complex. But there's no doubt about it. That passage from Ephesians of Paul, second chapter, said, We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for the good works He has prepared in advance for us. That as we begin this trip to holiness, that God has a plan for you and He has a plan for me. He has a plan for my children. He has a plan for your children. You may be hearts aching because of where they are. And we need to all, all of us begin to seek the mind of God to say, how can I be a better witness? How can I influence others? How can I make other people realize that our God is real and our God is a God of love and a God of mercy and a God who cares? And we do that by the way we live our lives. You shall be holy as the Lord your God is holy. It's just not a statement by God. It's not a command by God. I think it's just a statement of fact. That God is saying to us that you are going to be holy because I am holy and you are my intimate friend and everything around me is holy. And I'm going to take away your feeling of unworth and I'm going to take your feeling away from you that you don't belong in my presence. And I'm going to show you how wrong you really are. But we need to desire it. And we need to say, I want it. And as we said last week about this pearl of great price, he said, seek it. Once you discover it, you will do everything you have to gain it. And Jesus comes along and says, Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all things will be added. And we don't seek it by going on a scavenger hunt like we just did at Basil's. We seek it by sitting and gazing on the face of the Lord. And let God show it to us. So let us pray. Lord, your word is life to us. You tell us. You tell us that your word does not go out void, but it attains what it goes out to reveal. 
and nothing you say will return to you void, but it will accomplish the task which you intend. So we give you our hearts this day, Lord. We pray in the beginning to come into our hearts. And it's not just the song, Lord. Lord, it's our prayer. Come, fill me with your presence. Take me by the hand and gently lead me and open my eyes to the reality of the depth of your love for me. And I ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.